Hello, my name is John Hendren, and this is another episode of BachCast. The format for our podcast typically is to take a specific work by Johann Sebastian Bach. We listen to several different recordings. We talk a little bit about what makes the music special, but more importantly, what makes the performances the best, uh, and I give some rationale for that. And in this episode, I decided to actually take a break from the music of Bach completely. And of course, uh, I really could probably do this format for any number of of composers that I I like. We could do a Bieber cast, we could do a Vivaldi cast maybe. But that's, that's really not the intent here is to get off of Bach. The intent is to is to prepare us, if you will, for a future podcast or podcasts. Uh, and I'll get to that in just a moment. What you've been hearing in the background uh, is some music by a composer that may not be one of those composers that rolls off the tongue. Uh, his name is Westhoff, uh, Johann Paul von Westhoff. And that was a recording uh, that came out in 2010 on the Arcana label. Uh, the performer is Gunnar Letzbor. And that collection of six partitas, and I want you to pay attention there to the word partitas, uh, for solo violin without bass accompaniment. That's the title of the collection. came out in 1696. So Westhoff is from a Germanic uh, background, and he publishes around the turn of the century a collection of solo violin works. He's calling them partitas. What is a partita to him? Um, Letzbor does not record the entire collection. He records in one CD uh, the first, the second, the third, the fourth. Actually, he does the whole collection. I take that back. Um, he records the whole collection, six partitas. And as you may have noticed by now in Baroque works, composers like to group things in sixes. Um, and so we shouldn't be surprised that there's six in this collection. And the keys go from A minor to A major um, to B flat major to uh, C major to D minor, um, D major, and we just heard the courant from the sixth partita. Um, so they're dance movements, and they are each four movements uh, long. They're in a four-movement format. Um, in looking through, I think they all follow the same format. Allemande, courant, sarabande, and jig. Um, and so they're little dance suites, if you will, but he calls them partitas, partite. Uh, say partite. Um, and so that's an interesting little collection of solo violin works. And what am I preparing you for? Well, eventually we're going to have to uh, look at Bach's uh, works for the solo violin, which uh, we just looked in the last episode at one of his big organ works, the Passacaglia in, in C minor. And What's remarkable about that piece of music was that it was written early in Bach's career, uh, as as historians tell us. And so, um, you you just I mean the the piece is deep and it it's complex and it grows and it's just it's just an awesome piece of music. Um, among Bach's non-religious works, and I preface that by saying 
we're not talking about the the works with a choral accompaniment, the cantatas, the uh, the passions, you know, the Saint Matthew Passion, the the Mass in B minor. These are major Bach works that people point to, alongside things like the Art of Fugue, the Goldberg Variations, um, Saint John Passion. Um, maybe something like the Christmas Oratorio, these big works that we think of as, as, as box goalposts or, or milestones. Um, up there, of course, are the, the violin works. Um, we just got done in this series of looking at box sonatas for violin and harpsichord or keyboard. Um, and those, those works were not bad, but they don't carry the sort of the weight that the, uh, the violin works do. The violin works we're talking of, about, of course, are the sonatas and partitas. Uh, Bach uses the terms sonata for three of them and partita for another three. And he, again, collects them in a set of six, just like Westhoff. Um, one of the things that I think we need to appreciate or to understand or to just be familiar with is this idea of music for a single violin. And so Westhoff is one of those composers who um, leaves us with something. Uh, the next piece we're going to listen to, and I'm going to give you actually a couple different versions to sample from, uh, since I have that luxury, uh, is the the solo sonata for un unaccompanied violin in A minor by uh, Pysendel. So Pysendel is, is a character that I've likely mentioned before in earlier podcasts. He was a, uh, a violinist uh, who also composed he was well known enough that the people were writing works specifically for him and he eventually came to power as a leader in the dresden um, orchestra which in Bach's time was probably considered the best best quality place for instrumental music in germany and we do believe that bach tried to get a job there uh, but was unsuccessful and he ended his career in leipzig but Peisendel had an international following. He was also a composer himself. Obviously, he left us a solo violin sonata. Um, so I'd like you to take a listen to the opening of Peisendel's sonata because Peisendel is going to be somewhat uh, con contemporaneous with Bach. Uh, Bach was believed to have written his, his solo violin works in the 1720s. And so um, this would have been somewhere around that time.
So I presented you with, with two different uh, versions of the opening. Um, the second one, the one you just heard, was from Adrian Chandler. Uh, that came on a release by La Serenissima, which uh, Chandler is the uh, not only the lead violin, but also the, uh, the leader of that ensemble. Uh, the, the name of the album is Per Monsieur Paisendel. Number two, this is the second uh, in a series of uh, pieces that were intended for Paisendel, including this one under his own pen. And the first uh, example we heard was from Johannes Pramsholer, uh, who recorded uh, an album along with uh, Philippe Grisvard. Uh, entitled Bach and Entourage, featuring the solo sonata by Paisendel. So what do we get from the beginning? It, it has no tempo indication, although it's, it's quite frankly a, a slow movement. It's followed by uh, a fast movement, an allegro, and then the third movement is a, a jig with variation. So it's a three-movement form. Um, the second and third movements have considerable amount of material in them. Uh, the first one can clock in around two and a half minutes. Um, and so this introduction is kind of freewheeling with, with a very structured uh, melodic frame that, that anchors itself within harmony. And then when given the opportunity, Pysendel adds some... Uh, multiple stops there uh, to reinforce harmony sometimes harmony that we that is more complex than what would simply be inferred uh, by playing a, uh, the notes of a triad and it's uh, it's kind of a haunting piece it's it's a neat introduction i appreciate the fact that it's short and it leads us into uh, the allegro so the next uh, piece of this that i'm going to share with you is that allegro and this performance will be by another violinist, a Baroque violinist, by the name of Anton Steck. And Mr. Steck recorded uh, pieces by Paisendel. Uh, the album is Violin Sonatas of Johann Georg Paisendel. And he collaborated with Christian Rieger on the keyboard. But of course here he is by himself.
So following the second movement, I gave you a sampling of the opening of the jig, uh, also by Anton Steck. Uh, Steck, by the way, happens to be a former member of uh, Musica Antiqua Cone. Uh, incidentally, uh, every once in a while, I like to see what new videos pop up of uh, certain performers and ensembles on YouTube. Uh, YouTube seems to be a, a treasure trove of places to sample music. And I am often surprised that all of it exists there because of copyright concerns. But uh, one of the videos that has surfaced on YouTube as of late was a 1992 performance or not. It was a performance, but it was also uh, the... Uh, appeared to be the rehearsal of Musica Antiqua Colon under Reinhard Goebel um, performing in Italy. I simply did a search for Musica Antiqua Colon um, and it came up and I'm like, whoa, I never saw this before. And um, what was interesting about it is uh, there were th four performers, a harpsichordist, a flautist, a violinist who happened to be Anton Steck. Uh, and I only know that because I recognize what he looks like. His name was not listed. And then Reinhard Goebel, who was uh, playing the viola. And if you know the story of Musica Antiqua Colm uh, and Reinhard Goebel, he uh, had what I think is his most important recording uh, in 1990, which was of the Bieber uh, Mystery Sonatas or the Rosary Sonatas. Um, and shortly thereafter, he uh, suffered um, an issue with his left hand, which caused him to stop playing the violin. Um, and it was interesting if I follow the accuracy of the date in this uh, video, but in 1992, he was playing the viola. Uh, not the violin, and he was playing it uh, in the traditional manner uh, and did not seem to be impaired, at least visually, on the video. Video quality wasn't great. It was, it was as if it was done by you know, just a, a hand, somebody in the audience doing it with a handy cam. And it was just interesting because Anton Steck came on as one of the, uh, you know, protégés of Goebel and then uh, there was a string of them afterwards because he never really took leadership of the ensemble till, the, till towards the end, the last few years. And uh, when I got to see the ensemble uh, for the first time, he was playing the violin, but not first violin, and he was playing it reversed so that he bowed with the left hand and fingered with the right, if you can imagine playing a string that way. But anyhow... I'm rambling on about that little bit of history that continues to fascinate me. But Anton Steck, uh, great violinist, and he's been putting out some solo recordings um, along with uh, his friends on the CPO label. Uh, this is a label that's also been putting out some works by Michael Snyder, uh, who, uh, La Stagione Frankfurt, uh, it's a Cologne uh, I always think of him as a Cologne-based musician. He's uh, is a recorder player, uh, flautist, and um, that label's been putting some stuff out by uh, Elizabeth Walfish. So if you haven't, 
If those names are familiar to you, but you want to know where to go, CPO is the label. So back to the music. We just listened to Pysendel's major sonata. I point this out to you because I think it had to be a model for Bach. And I'm not saying that in any, any specific context, but wow, what what does he do there? And he, you got to remember, this is the guy who everybody was going to with their tough virtuoso violin music, and he was the one playing it. So when he presents us with his music, in that second movement, he's he's writing complex music because it's disjointed, right? There's this there's low notes, and then it's it goes up to high. So you're you're kind of going over to grab that low note on one string and then switching over to a higher register. You also hear some chordal passages there. And then when we get to the third movement, the jig, uh, there's multi-stopping everywhere uh, in that. So it, it's virtuoso music. It is, uh, to me, very successful. It's, it's well-written. It's a great example for somebody like Bach to either emulate uh, or to copy or to be, um, you know, we don't know the entire history. We have some speculation about box works, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me that if um, at some point Pysendel got a hold of the Bach uh, works, they seem to be of a similar uh, complexity in terms of the writing for the instrument. Uh, next, we're going to uh, go to what I consider much lighter music, uh, much less complex than what we just heard. And this is one of Bach's friends, Jörg Philipp Telemann. Telemann composes uh, not six, but 12 fantasias for the solo violin in, in multiple keys. And these are written more as uh, continuous pieces that uh, you might think uh, have a have a tie back to the Stilus Fantasticus um, aesthetic in the Baroque where you would have short passages but varying character between them, and so you go slow and fast uh, alternations. Uh, and that's how I tend to think of these, not as specific movements. If you look at the score, it's, it's, it's quite clear where the changes are, but... Uh, listening to it, uh, it's very easy to go from one section to the other. Uh, there are a couple of recordings out of this. We're going to sample some of this uh, music by Telemann, by the Baroque violinist, who's probably a familiar name if you are a Baroque fan, Andrew Manzi.
So what did you think of Telemann? Um, he definitely is employing some of the same technique that we've heard earlier, some double stopping. Uh, but I gave you uh, two samples, really. I gave you uh, a little bit of the second of those Fantasias and a little bit of the, of the ninth. Uh, the second is in the key of G, and the ninth is in B minor. And then the third little clip I gave you was later on in the... Uh, in that ninth Fantasia. So you got two clips from that one. And I think the more interesting content was uh, the latter part, which got uh, had a faster tempo, and you got to hear two different ideas, uh, contrasting ideas that Telemann puts forth in that sonata. Um, he calls the his works Fantasias for the violin. He also uh, wrote a set of Fantasias, 12 again, for the flute, solo flute, as opposed to solo violin. And so there, there must have been a market for um, works for solo instruments, and uh, flute music was probably less, uh, less interest, at least if it was uh, for a professional. Um, but here we have examples of virtuosic uh, violin music there is a there is a certain percentage, if you will, of Telemann's music that was actually intended for an amateur market, and he uh, he was very uh, business savvy and would market some of his music to amateurs. But even despite the fact that some of the themes seem simple or the ideas seem simple to me in these Fantasias for Violin, they definitely are uh, virtuosic works. Uh, at least to pull them off well. And what I mean by simple is Telemann is giving us a lot of different musical ideas in this in a short span. So just to give you an idea, using Manzi's uh, timings, um, these Fantasias at the most might go eight minutes, a little over eight minutes. The shorter ones will be four minutes. And so four to eight minutes uh, is a short period of time to give lots of different ideas. And with Telemann, it's more of show, if you will. Uh, those ideas aren't fully carried out. They're not fully, uh, uh, you know, there's no variation to them. There's no really developing of the ideas. Uh, and so I, I don't think uh, Telemann's examples, while they are con contemporaneous with Bach, I really don't think they're in the same league, and I, I would assume that most musicians would agree with me on that. Uh, they simply aren't at the same kind of complexity in terms of writing. Uh, they don't employ the counterpoint that Bach holds so dear. 
So that's a, yet another example of a set of works for the solo violin. So what we've just been listening to is yet another example of solo violin. Uh, this is Nicola Matais, who was an Italian composer uh, active uh, around Naples and uh, dying around 1714. So uh, slightly more uh, modern than the first example we listened to of Westhoff. And he was responsible for... Um, really bringing different style into into fashion he wrote a number of works for this for the violin and uh, not all of it is solo violin but this example uh, is entitled Passaggio Rotto uh, it comes from an album under uh, the leadership and violin playing of Amandine Bayer uh, her ensemble is Glee Incogniti uh, I've actually had uh, uh, the opportunity to hear Miss Byer uh, live. It was a great concert, um, playing a number of uh, violin pieces. And this album of Matisse uh, is entitled uh, False Consonances of Melancholy Airs for the Violin. Uh, and so that's yet another example of uh, solo violin music. Uh, to me, in some ways, it resembles... Uh, the Telemann that we heard, but I think I would say it's more enjoyable. I like it a little better. Um, if I had to go on a desert island and listen to solo Telemann violin or, or solo Matisse, I would definitely take uh, the latter, the, the earlier composer.
So that example is Giuseppe Tartini, uh, a solo sonata movement uh, entitled Pastorale, um, uh, sonata in A major that was performed by Enrico Anorfi, uh, one of my favorite Baroque violinists, on, a, on an album entitled Secrets of the Baroque Violin. Uh, and this is uh, Tartini, uh, has been played uh, without basso continuo before uh, Andrew Manzi in his recording of Tartini uh, in the late 90s decided to record his famous Devil's Trill Sonata without basso continuo because he figured if the devil was playing, he didn't need accompaniment. Uh, but here is an, ex an example of a Tartini Sonata that does not require uh, bass, and you could sort of hear some of the, uh, what I would call idiomatic writing for the violin. Uh, there's definitely something to be said for pieces written by, by authentic violinists, virtuoso, virtuosi, and Tartini was, uh, was one of them. So Tartini is, as I think of him, is, is late Baroque, uh, along with composers like Locatelli or Veracini. Uh, he was a virtuoso and uh, is probably most famous for his Devil's Trill Sonata. Uh, but uh, this was sort of a neat example uh, because uh, using the, the multiple stopping there, he was recreating the sound uh, of bagpipes, which is often associated with the, a pastoral theme, and so therefore the title sort of makes sense there, uh, pastorale. Um, so another example I wanted to share, and I'm looking through what I had uh, queued up here. Um, two more examples, and then we'll, we'll, I think we'll have given you my uh, short treatise on the status of the solo violin before we get to uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. So my next example is actually not solo violin, but has basso continuo. This comes from uh, a title entitled, uh, album entitled Bachiana. Uh, this is music of the Bach family. We're not sure precisely who this is uh, in Bach's family history, but it is a sonata and capriccio for violin uh, with the name spelled Pach, not Bach. Um, and this was, of course, the first uh, release of a series by Musica Antigua Colon to Reinhard Goebel, um, exploring instrumental music uh, from the Bach family. And I just think it's interesting to look uh, back in this capacity because Bach was somewhat familiar with the music that was uh, composed by family members. And so it's worth exploring, I think, an example here of what uh, his family may have produced in terms of uh, violin music, even here if it includes uh, continuo.
So I can't help but, but describe this music as a little bit busy. Uh, I feel almost sorry for this poor violinist who has to just, uh, has been given a lot of notes to play. And um, there are some flights into a higher a high range, but it, it really is uh, somewhat st- stagnant with the range that the violinist has given. Uh, and therefore the, the notes are sort of repetitive and go on. And what's interesting about the sonata is the way uh, harmony is treated. Uh, it does uh, modulate uh, a couple times, at least in the sample that we listen to there. Um, but it gives you the idea of the role of the violin um, as something that could be fanciful, that could have lots of runs and notes. Uh, but we probably now are, are looking at a piece that is, uh, I'm guessing, I don't think there's a date on this one. And I don't have the actual CD in front of me, but let's see what got transferred to the computer. Yeah, I don't have a particular date for the when this was written, but my guess is that it would be around 1660, 1670. Um, and so this is a, a sonata for violin and uh, basso continuo. And so Bach would have been familiar with things like this. We have Corelli, who comes out in 1700 with his collection, the Opus 5 collection of sonatas for violin and basso continuo. But our real focus has been on, well, those few composers who went out and said, you know, the violin is an instrument unto itself. It can, it can, it can do its own thing. And we have to wonder what was Bach's uh, impetus for writing for solo violin since it was not the most popular uh, genre. Uh, you typically would have needed a very confident player to perform music like we've been listening. And what was the function? You've got to think that uh, so many composers in this period had to be pragmatic about what they spent their time on composing, at least when it came to high quality. And there are composers like Telemann who, who made quite a living on selling Music, it was in high demand. Vivaldi is another example. Uh, once his Opus 3 had come out, he was became very popular. Um, but Bach was not, you know, he wasn't publishing a lot of his music. And so uh, what was the impetus for writing solo violin music? Was it simply to say, hey, um, my friend Telemann has his collection. I know of these other predecessors. And I just want to give my example of uh, six sonatas, uh, if you will, or six partitas uh, for uh, this instrument. We don't know. Um, There are lots of theories into uh, the composition of Bach's uh, sonatas and partitas for solo violin. And we'll talk more about some of those perhaps uh, when we get to actually the Bach cast dedicated to some of these pieces. But... Uh, as the final example, uh, as you may or may not know, you can learn more about this podcast by going online to my website. My website is not Bachcast.com. It is Bieberfan.org, B-I-B-E-R-F-A-N.org. And I've not spent uh, any time at all really talking about um, that that name, that title, that, uh, that handle, if you will, Bieberfan. Uh, but... Um, 
back in my college days, I had to come up with a handle to use online. And um, there was no question at that point that I had decided that Bach was my favorite composer. But uh, seeing that uh, there were so many fans of Bach's music and that I had just discovered this obscure uh, Baroque composer of virtuoso violin music by the name of Heinrich Franz von Bieber, uh, I decided that I would take this composer's name and turn it somehow into my own, calling myself a fan of Bieber's music. And so therefore, Bieber fan was was born. And we will end in this episode of Botcast with a piece by uh, Bieber. And if you know Bieber's music, you already know what I'm going to uh, cue up. It's his uh, ultimate movement from his mystery or uh, rosary sonatas as they're called. So what Bieber does is he he creates this collection of 15 pieces uh, for violin and they are based on the uh, the rosary, the, the set of prayers uh, said in the Catholic rite. And at the time there was a fixed number of uh, prayers you would say and each one we know we give it this name of the mysteries of the rosary uh, because they were uh, printed on copper and the preceding image uh, a woodcut if you will at the beginning of each sonata depicts uh, each one of the uh, rosary prayers and so therefore we have titles and we know some uh programmatic uh, at some point some kind of story or uh, concept associated with each one and the last one is unique in that it has no basso continuo uh, the sonatas all have a, a two-part writing for them and uh, in themselves these this collection is very interesting because it's written um, in the second uh, until you get to the very last, again, uh, the second, third, fourth, fifth, etc. Sonatas are all written for a mistuned violin. Scordatura uh, is the Italian term to describe that, where you're uh, retuning the strings on your violin, not to be G-D-A-E, but rather uh, whatever Bieber asks you for. And they are therefore a challenge to perform because you are placing your finger on the uh, on the fingerboard of the violin based on the way the note reads on the page. But that is not necess- That is not the sounding note uh, when it indi- when it's uh, a note that's indicated for uh, a string that has been retuned. And I don't want to get too deeply into. Bieber's Mystery Sonatas with uh, discussion, but uh, it's one of my favorite collections of violin music. I would say second to Bach's Sonatas and Partidas for solo violin uh, because they're just very interesting. I think they're well-written, and they're very interesting from a compositional standpoint because of the, uh, the color that we think Bieber wanted. He was creating new combinations of double and triple stopping by retuning the strings. He also gets a very different sonority out of the instrument. And we don't know uh, precisely if there was a programmatic um, 
aspect to wanting to retune the strings of the violin. But it requires some virtuosic thought and virtuosic compositional skills to get that out. But when we get to his final piece in this collection, uh, sometimes called the Guardian Angel, we have a really a, uh, a repeated ostinato bass line. It's very simple. G, F, E flat, D. G, F, E flat, D. G, F, E flat, D. This repeating bass line. And on top of it, he creates a series of variations. And uh, it's it's pretty nice piece of music. And when you hear it, it is very difficult for me, and it's probably difficult for some of you, to really listen to it and not automatically think ahead uh, maybe some 30 years and think of Bach and his Chaconne uh, from his collection, the, the great Chaconne, the, the fifth movement uh, in one of his uh, partitas. And so therefore, I see this great link of Bach saying, hey, here's this piece by Bieber who, that is contrapuntal. It, it has a bass line and it has music on top. And so he's it's a, it's a big show-off piece because you basically do have a repeating bass line, but instead of giving it to the cellist or the harpsichord or the organist, you're saying, hey, the violin is capable of doing this all on its own. And really, you needed a composer who was a real violinist like Bieber to come up with probably this concept. And, and then Bach decides to do something very similar, and then I would think it's fair to say Bach outdoes the... Uh, the art that uh, Bieber did a little earlier. Um, and yet we don't really know if Bach was ever familiar with Bieber's violin music. But it's easy for us today in the 21st century to look back and say, well, of course they're connected somehow. My idea that I want you to leave you with is that maybe Bach never knew about this and maybe Bach didn't know of Westhoff and maybe Bach didn't know of... Uh, all of Telemann's works, um, there was definitely a, an idea going around composers of this period to write music for solo violin. And it wouldn't be surprising to me that if they came up with some very similar uh, results, some similar outputs, even if they didn't know about one another's works. So take that as you will. This is Bieber's uh, version uh, of the Bach Chaconne, what I'm very bold in saying, the last movement of the Mystery Sonatas, the Mystery of the Rosary Sonatas uh, for solo violin. And uh, there are a lot of different recordings out here of this. You'll find that some uh, performers have um, simply uh, given some nods to this. They're use it as filler in some cases where you get a, a CD of Bieber and it's just included. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, one of my favorite versions, probably not surprising, Reinhard Goebel. This came out, this was his, basically his last solo recording on the violin. And it's uh, rather special to me because of that, uh, because of the regard I hold for this particular violinist. So I hope you enjoy uh, a little sampling of Bieber's uh, work for solo violin. Um, and here it is.
As always, listeners, thank you for listening. This is your host, John Hendren, uh, host of BotCast. Uh, I would invite you to visit the website again, BieberFan.org, to learn more about the podcast, get access to show notes, and I would encourage you, if you like any of the pieces you heard today, I know it's not Bach. I cheated you out of Bach in this episode. I didn't play one note of Bach, but I hope you uh, can appreciate if you have not dove into the world of Baroque music that you uh, do so because Bach was a product of his time. Uh, he was, I think, uh, would have been an incredible musician born at any time in history, uh, but he definitely was uh, uh, using the ideas that were around him that came before him. Uh, he often looked backwards and so it's not a stretch for us to take a look at some of the examples that would have been uh, uh, out there uh, when he was composing, thinking about writing for solo instruments such as the violin. And uh, I do so, and I wanted to share these pieces with you because I think if we're really going to understand or to appreciate the profundity of box music for solo violin that we need to understand uh, at least some level uh, about what else was out there around that time. And that's what we have access to right now. That's what I have access to in my collection. So if you heard anything that wet your whistle, uh, please check it out. Uh, I try to give you a, a number of different examples out there, not only of uh, some of the re specific recordings, but also some of the composers who wrote for solo violin. So thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.